0: Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi preston and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi preston and as always, I am pumped, honored, and excited that you have joined us for what will be an insane episode. This week, we are joined by Anita Nilsson, author of Beat the Bots. Anita is also a sales enablement expert who works with organizations in improving Salesforce capability and essentially improving sales performance. This episode is a really interesting episode, and I'll tell you why. With so much debate, with so much anxiety in the sales world around automation and AI and chatbots, we really break down what you need to do to prevent that from happening to you. I was also listening to another podcast called Make It Happen Mondays, and John Burroughs talked about this particular topic. Now, for those of you that are worried, that are anxious, if you are doing the easy, you know, finding shortcuts in sales, and not facilitating the role that sales is about, which is you know having that commercial acumen, being a critical thinker, a problem solver. If you're not facilitating that part in your sales process, then you should be worried. Sales is hard, it's not an easy game. For those of you who master their craft, that train, that constantly develop their skills, you have nothing to worry about. And in this episode, we're really going to break down what is required to beat the bots. As always, if you like what you're listening to, if you like the content we put out, please like us, share us, rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm having uh, an absolute ball getting some great feedback from you all. So please keep that feedback coming because I love it. So guys... Without further ado, would love to introduce Anita Nilsson to the Sales IQ podcast. Okay, so welcome to the show, Anita.
1: Hello, nice to be
0: here. Uh, we are very excited and excited to talk about you know such a I think hotly discussed topic at the moment, and it has been for a couple of years, but even more so. Um, you know, with all the data telling us that sales roles are going to be made redundant in the next two to five years due to automation. So there's a lot of fear in the world of sales. So really excited to break down this topic of, you know, how we can protect ourselves and, and, you know, beat the bots. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think that's what that's the motivation for me with this book is that people are scared. Sales professionals are scared, and they're the people that I serve. So, um, you know, it's something that really resonates with me. And so I wanted to put something out there that helped offer one, some clarification, and then two, something that they can do to help ensure that that doesn't happen to
0: them. Fantastic. And today we're going to give some real, you know, insight and some key takeaways that salespeople can implement immediately that will not only protect them in the future. But we'll help him close more deals now. So, but before we get into, into such an exciting session, we'd love to know a bit about you and how you started in the world of sales.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think um, if you look at sales in general, I had just started when I was fifteen. I started to work in the mall at a retail store, and um, from there it was just one job after another until I did my first B two B. Gosh, probably right out of college, and it was supposed to be just a temp job um, until I figured out what I wanted to do with where I wanted to get my master's or journalism degree. Yeah. But then I realized, dang, I'm good at this, and <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So I stuck with it, and um, I kept I kept working in B two B sales, technology sales out like IT outsourcing, and I stuck with it for a while. And Then I, I found out that um, I was having more fun and I was feeling better when I was helping other reps on my team achieve their goals than I even felt when I achieved mine. So it was just really bizarre, but I, I had a long talk with myself and said, hey, listen, this is what you love to do. Yep. Maybe you're on to something. And so that's kind of how I ended up moving into sales support roles. Um, And so from then, I I started to focus on sales enablement. So I've been in B2B sales or sales support for over 20 years now.
0: Wow. So you went from, you just fell into the role of sales, Mm. which I've never heard that before. You know, none of us actually fall into the role of sales. We all get up (laughs) and, you know, when our teachers ask us at five, what do you want to be when you're older? We say, I want to be a salesperson. I'll say sales. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then you fell into the world of sales and then you've spent the last 20 years across um, role selling Sales enablement, sales leadership, and now you've run your own consulting practice. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I do sales enablement yeah. um, consulting, and then sales performance coaching.
0: Okay, fantastic. And so, where did the inspiration come from to write a book?
1: Um, that's a great question. So, I was sitting a couple of years ago with um, a gentleman. We'll call him Neil. He was a sales professional, and I actually talk about him in my book as well. Yep. But basically, you know, we were we were just out of a customer meeting, and the meeting didn't go so great. And so we were talking about it and discussing, um, you know, what we could have done better. And after we got to that part and a couple drinks into the conversation, (laughs) Neil started to share with me some of the real personal challenges that he was facing. You know, commissions were not what they needed to be. Um, Competition was fierce. He was having a tough time differentiating. What all this meant to him, net-net, was that his wife, who hadn't worked in so many years, might have to go back to work. His kids might not be able to go to private school. And so, for me, being somebody is just a highly empathetic person. That kind of got me right in the heart, and I said, "Okay, no, this is not okay." Um, there's things that he can do, and then of course he's a coaching client, so we worked together and got him to the point where I, I call him a bot beating sales professional now. Yeah, but it was it was that motivation. It was Neil, and the so many other Neils. There's yep. many, many reps that I work with, and all of them have just kind of got this fear looming because of all the things that they hear in the media. And uh, I wanted to make it clear that you know, as long as humans are doing the buying, we don't need to start worrying about robots taking our sales jobs away. At least, not in this lifetime.
0: And one thing, Anita, and thank you for sharing that with me. One thing I love about the book, right, is the fact that you 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 write it for salespeople. Now, people are probably thinking, what the hell does that mean? Is I read a lot of books and one of the things that I find really difficult when reading books is they're written from a, you know, it's like an, um, what do you call it? An academic book Academic. and we as salespeople or sales professionals is, you know, we are very simple. We're very simple minded and we're very much about, well, I need to have something, keep me focused and then give me some takeaways that I can implement. And so one of the things I love is that you use basics, you know, some simple stories at the start of each chapter that help us and it sets the why. Okay. And so I really want to talk about this because you set the book up around leisure suit Larry. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I love this because even though this, for me, there is a differentiation between sales professionals and there's a guy called Larry Levine, um, who talks about, you know, empty suit salespeople, which Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is essentially leisure suit Larry. Right. Um, and there's a differentiation. I don't associate myself with leisure suit Larry because I'm a professional, right? That's but right. help right. us you know, understand why you reference that at the start of your book and you know, how does that create the anchor for the whole book?
1: I think, so I referenced Leisure Suit Larry as the um, archetype, the person that you think of when most people think of salespeople. This is the guy that they get in their head, right? The used car salesperson. Um, They think of words like slimy, sneaky, shady, and, you know, he's got a gold chain and this uh, (laughs) ugly plaid coat. You know, it's like, it's literally, it's a visual that people get in their head. And so I wanted to call it out because despite how many amazing, incredible sales professionals I've worked with and how I've watched them single-handedly change the lives of their customer, I still, by and large, hear these negative um, terms for them, like slimy, sneaky, shady, all those horrible things. And I want to make sure that I, in the book, called it out because that's a reality we face as salespeople. Before we even go in anywhere um, in B2B sales, there's already a perception that we're there and we're out to get Absolutely. them. Yep. And- and that's the seller of the past that's leisure shootler leisure suit larry excuse me he he cared more about himself that's what his orientation was and that's why i think he's going to be extinct and that's why we have a bad name so we have to work collectively to change that
0: yeah absolutely and I, I, abso- you know what that's a fantastic response and we just want to talk a bit about that right because we're talking about the you know the world says roles will be made extinct you know chatbots ai you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you've also referenced in your book that it's not just, you know, leisure suit Larry, that's going to be, you know, just extinct. It's also if sales professionals don't evolve, they face the challenge of being made redundant, right? Um, Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah.
1: So I think, you know, part of the part of the importance of being a sales professional for the future as someone who's really willing to learn and is genuinely curious and understands that you know, internet changes everything. Buyers are changing every day. Economies are changing. You have to be able to adapt and evolve. And uh, I think that there's a couple different kinds of sales professionals that will struggle, in my opinion. First are the the sales reps that are doing purely transactional sales, like so you know products, equipment, singular items that they're selling to customers, maybe in mass quantities, B two B. But the transactional salespeople. And then the second is the people that are are okay being complacent and that have kind of gotten into their groove for selling and they think that they've got their fantastic relationships and that these relationships are a gift that'll keep on giving. But the, the challenge with that is that's not always true, right? So your customers are going to change. We've already seen that companies have gone from one or two decision makers to entire teams plus procurement. So you have to be able to evolve with those types of changes that happen, and you have to constantly want to educate yourself. Um, and so those are the two, two types of reps I think are going to struggle. But again, you know, the second one is a lot easier to help because they, are actually, they have an opportunity to work hard and learn and try to evolve and adapt. And that's where, that's where they'll see the success and they don't have to be afraid of technology taking over what they do.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So, you know, you've, you've got a couple of key points in there, right? They're willing to learn, adapt and evolve and move away from the transactional sale. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: It has to be It has to be um, about value. And I go into great detail about value in the book. And really, at the end of the day, if you can't perceive value and if you can't create and articulate value, it won't matter whether you're going to be able to differentiate for the long term. It's going to be robots or your competition or an incumbent, whatever. You, you won't survive.
0: Okay, awesome. So I want to talk about this. The term value gets thrown around a lot, right? And one of the things that I've got to be empathetic for sales professionals is, we're living in a world where, you know, people are telling us what we should be doing and you jump on LinkedIn and you know, every influencer and his dog saying, start producing content, start producing content, you know, be content, the buyers change, blah, blah, blah. And I find that really difficult. Cause I'm like, well, you know, create content, put content out, stop doing traditional marketing methods or traditional sales methods of outreach. Right. We've got to give value, but what the hell does value mean? So are you able to, you know, tell us in your opinion, the definition of value in the sales world?
1: Yeah. So in the sales world, value is creating something that is relevant and meaningful to the customer. And whether you're thinking about that customer in terms of that business, the B2B that you're selling, or you're thinking of that customer, that singular human being that you're selling to, it is creating something of worth, something that'll matter and is meaningful for them. Now, if you, if you, I struggle with the word value, by the way. Um, I, I actually call this out in the book. You know, value is one of those words that has been used so many times. It actually doesn't mean much of anything mm. anymore. And so to me, when I hear sales leaders um, you know, say things like, well, did you did you um, emphasize the value? I just want to look at them and say, do you even know what that means? Because I'm <laughs> sure that rep, <laughs> rep does it. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where I look at value very, and I try to put it simply in a way that, you know, we can all kind of make sense of. So there's in B2B sales and particularly tech sales for me, there's three types of value. The first value is like a general value, um, and that's the value that's inherent in the product or technology or solution that you're selling. So, I like to give an example of a toothbrush, right? The toothbrush's general value is that it cleans teeth. All toothbrushes are, are aimed to clean teeth, so yeah. there's no differentiation there, right? So, that that is um, exactly what that product is set to do, and that's what every company that creates that product is going to do in the market. Yeah. Um, and so, then after that, you know, you kind of move on into different level of value, which is called company value and company value is basically whatever that individual company that is doing the selling what is it that they've layered on that is meaningful and relevant to that customer so for this sometimes it could be maybe you think about the toothbrush example you've yeah. got oral b or an, a company that's now created an app and they have put um, bluetooth on your toothbrush so you can now figure out how long you've spent in each quadrant of your mouth right <laughs> so that's really exciting and that's differentiating when it first comes out but yeah. guess what everyone is going to catch on to and competitors are going to find a way to do it and they may do it better, faster, cheaper. So that's another one where you can, you can differentiate a little bit at the level of company, but it's typically pretty finite until others catch on. Um, And so that's kind of where that whole unique value proposition, that's another one that drives me bananas. Um, You know, companies talk about what's your unique value proposition and almost every time I ask there's nothing unique about the answer. And I can say the same for almost any other company in that space. So that's a struggle for me, and I, I know it's a struggle for reps. Yeah. And so then last and absolutely the most important, the center of everything that I stand for and what I try to evangelize and help sales reps with is personalized value. Okay. Personalized value is a level of, um, it's a value that exists between the two humans that are interacting in a sales um, engagement. So for example, it's the value of the seller and the buyer and how they relate to each other. It's at a level that is different from the company or the technology. Sometimes those conversations that happen at that level are actually not even about technology or the product. It's very much about who you are as a sales professional, what you stand for and how you take that and make it meaningful and make it matter to that customer, the unique human with which you are doing work. So I think that's to me the most important thing. You have to be able to sell not just at the B2B level. I mean B2B is kind of by default, right? Like if you're gonna sell a technology from one business to another mm. to the other business, everybody's doing that. So yeah. This is more of a human-to-human. Human. This is h human to h human. It's human-to-human. It's you as a seller and how you're working and relating with your customers. Now, that may be a single customer. That may be a team of customers. It doesn't matter. It's creating something that's meaningful to them because here's mm. the thing. That person in their role, they may have objectives and things that they need to achieve in that role. And you'll you'll do a good job of figuring out what those are. I'm advocating to get to the next level. What does that person, that human outside of that role, that holistic being, what is it that they need and what is it that matters to them? Because here's the thing, value, value is in the eye of the beholder. And I believe that through and through. It it doesn't matter what I think value is. If I don't know what my customer thinks value is, it makes no difference. Mm. I will fail. And so that's kind of the way that I look at value. It's the H2H value that matters and value is very, very much in the eye of the beholder, in our case, the customer.
0: This is such an interesting topic, right? Because I think in the world of, you know, account-based marketing segmentation is sales, marketing, sales enablement. It's trying to make something that can be, is so simplistic, very complicated, Mm -hmm. You know, you know, what do I mean by that? I go, well, you know what? If you look at, you know, the, one of the best books of all time, in my opinion, and there's so many of them, but Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes. You know, he talks <laughs> about making the other person feel good, you know, about making it about them, about giving positive versus negative, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We go, well, that's 100. 1936, I think it was written, right? So that's nearly 100 years old. Yep. And we go now and we're like, okay, sales enable. We to create content and we've got to grow. And, and I love cadence and don't get me wrong. I love the the process of cadence and outreach and, you know, being really smart and clever with the messaging. But of course. the big but is, is that we're losing the human connection, you know, in our communication. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is where I, I feel that uh, that's what I love about where you talk about personalized value. I want to really expand on that because, you know, people buy from people, people buy from from you they're not buying from your company anymore because they're buying that unique experience that you deliver so can we talk a bit about from a personalized value perspective if i'm a sales professional sitting here listening to this going you know what i am a colon i am a person that that's worried about the future you know what are some of the things i must do immediately to create that personalized value
1: yeah, that's a great question, and I think um, it's—I think it's an entire chapter I cover in the book. But the first thing that you have to ascertain is what does value mean to your customer, and right, we've been taught a million times about how we have to get very, very good at discovery, yeah. and that's a hundred percent true. Everyone knows that. But what I encourage is using things um, that I call high impact questions, yeah. which are. I, I joke about it, but I say that they're discovery questions, open-ended questions on steroids, yeah. because they allow you to get much more out of your customers. So, for example, instead of asking, um, you know, what, uh, who reports to you, what is your team made up of, you would say something like, "Tell me about the organization structure." And so, it's kind of like the "Tell me" or "Help me understand" or "How do you think?" Those types of things are really important because that allows your customer to open up, and it shows them that you're interested genuinely. And I think personalized value, you know, the the one disclaimer I always make is that it won't work for Leisure Suit Larry, right? Because Leisure Suit Larry's intent is to make a ton of money Mm. and to do it at the expense of their customer. That personalized value doesn't exist in that realm. And if you want to differentiate and if you want to play this game of personalized value that I am going to teach in this book, you have to be someone who has genuine intent of helping their customer succeed. You have to want them to win, and understand that when they win, you win. And I think that that's something that um, is super critical on so many levels, but especially if we're ever ever going to mm. get rid of the slimy, sneaky, shady thought process. Yeah, this is what we have to become if we're not already.
0: And this is interesting, right? I really get passionate about this particular topic, um, <laughs> Anita, because I take this all the way back. I go, look, you can, you can, you know, create content. You can put content on LinkedIn, and there's a there's an influencer now saying you got to produce 100 inf- 100 pieces of content. He posted the other day, right? Which is ludicrous. But anyway, um, you know the the, the buyers change, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'm like, you know what? All of that is peripheral. It's completely irrelevant. If my mindset as a sales professional isn't clear, if That's right. if I don't really understand or not even understand appreciate what a sales professional, you know who we are, what we do. You know, what, are we there to serve, are we there to help, are we there to create value, are we there to give value, are we there to help them choose us, are we there to build a relationship? And until we truly understand and articulate what are those characteristics, what are those behaviours that we must exhibit, our ability to get into the, the actual, you know, discovery, unlocking knowledge, asking high impact questions, we haven't earned the right, we will not, we will not earn the right to get there. And then when we get there, it's, there's, it's no substance. Because we haven't followed the basics, the fundamentals, which is creating the mindset of a SaaS professional. And that's how I love the way that you talk about the personalized value, the human-human tick connection, and actually taking it back first and going, I am not that slimy, dodgy, I'm there to add value. And you talk—you it rolls off your tongue, you talk about serve.
1: Yeah. You serve. You're there to serve. You're there to help your customer. And you know the thing about the personalized value that's amazing, and it's it's interesting how it goes. So as a B2B sales professional that's going to differentiate and going to be a bot beater, yeah. you, know, you really help your customer. You know that you want to help them succeed. You become their advocate. You're an advocate for their success. You're there to figure out what is going to make them look good in that organization. What obstacles can you remove with your product or even just your thought process? Yeah. What happens then if you do that right, and if you get to the correct level, ultimately there's going to be a moment in time. It's almost like a, a switch, a, a, flip, a flip of a switch, where that customer then is going to become your biggest advocate. Mm-hmm. And what you're going to find is that they're the ones that are out there now saying, "Hey, I have a guy for that. Yeah. Let me introduce you to my girl. She, you know, she'll help you get through it, and she's not she's not going to try to sell you anything. Um, she's going to help you help really figure out what you need and help you succeed." Now you've got your customer out there being your advocate. And it just changes the way yeah. we sell. It changes how we do everything. And I'm I'm blessed enough to be able to say that I've I have mean, lived this, right? So I didn't just write this book because I, you know, read something and thought I could translate it. I, yeah. I wrote this book because I've lived it. I've been in business for about almost six years, and I've been blessed enough to have business by referral only to mm. this point. Um, and that's very much a reflection of. You know, going above and beyond, and really caring about customers, and you know, just being a servant, and knowing that that's where your success lies as well.
0: Do mm. you know this is a very interesting topic, and I love that you brought this up by referral only, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the things that you know we keep getting told um, again, you know, channels, sales channels, lead channels, prospecting channels, etc. One of the most underspoken, you know, is referrals, and Joanne Black mm-hmm. talks about this a lot, right? Is yeah. refer- referrals close like something ridiculous, like over seventy percent? Yeah, absolutely. And I was I, I, I struggled with referrals until about you know twelve years ago, oh, maybe less, maybe just ten years ago. When you know a mentor of mine said, "Why don't you get any referrals?" I'm like, "What? I, how do I?" Mm-hmm. It was a barrier that I had, right? But the minute I started to ask for referrals, and I truly I asked in the right way. Um, was I, I created a whole, you know, we had, we had, um, referral targets. So, you you know, we, we had to get, you know, actually a a certain amount of referrals from our customers and our prospects Mm. and, you know, they were the majority of our leads that we generate per week. Right. That's right. Um, but I think the, the key to this, and I want to, I want to get an understanding of, of the referral component is you talk about becoming a raging advocate right? What can we do? You know, what are the steps that we must take to become that raging advocate? Is it, is it just simply deliver on a promise or are there other components that make up that, that customer advocacy that you're discussing?
1: Yeah, and it, it's a good question. And so it starts, of course, with that discovery that we just talked about. Yeah. In order to get to the point where you can become, you can show your customer, it's even actually not so much about just being an advocate, because in your heart and mind, you may be, but until yeah. that customer recognizes that about you, we're not going to see the results. So understand who they are, figure out what they stand for, figure out what matters to them, that unique human, and then take what's in your mind, what you know, maybe your network, um, maybe something that you do that nobody else does mm. and bring that to bear for that customer. And I think, you know, going back to the content, I, I, I think content is, is gone out of control. Maybe five yeah. years ago, it was, it was great to put out some content. And there was not that much, but now there's so much content that, I mean, it, it is, but it is bonkers how much is out there. And so to me, instead of expecting um, that my customers out there grabbing content, if I know, something that my customer is looking for and is interested in, I am Mm. going to become their content curator. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to go look everywhere and I'm going to take, here's what I do. I take an article, I pull it off the web if I think it's interesting to a customer. I will put it in PDF and I will highlight the Mm. sections that I think that they need to read. And then I will forward that to that customer. Now that is valuable to them because nothing is more valuable than their time and reputation and time to go through all this content. So by doing that for them, I've shown them one that I care enough about them to notice that something that matters to them was on a piece of content and mattered enough to me to go back and then distill the important points and then take it to them. And they know I spent my time to do that and I didn't have to. And so value is is in those types of things.
0: I, I'm, you know what, I'm getting really excited. And, I, and I'll tell you what, I was, just, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast from two guys that I, I really love, right? And on the concept, it was, it was talking about outreach and emails and you know, personalization, etc. And they spoke about the call to action, the CTA. So what the call to action needed to be at the end of an email, always put a call to action. And I'm like, okay, I can understand the concept of putting a call to action. I'm a big believer in it. But the best performing outreach email I ever sent was, and I spent a bit of time on each. So they weren't like a generic one that I sent to 100 people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were 20 that I really spent time, I think I I spent a bucket load of time crafting each one to be personalized. That's right. Then I did not put a call to action. It was purely the servant model, the go-giver model to say, here, I've done some research based on my understanding of your business, what you're trying to achieve in your role. Here's some information that I think you'd find relevant. And that'll help you in your journey of sales enablement, right? Because I knew that these companies were making a shift not just sales enablement, it's yeah. a few other bits and pieces. Yeah. I, how it, powerful, how oh, powerful is that?
1: Absolutely. I mean,
0: and I did not ask for anything. I literally put, hope this information helps you. Right? That's right. Or something like that. Now, yeah. out of the 20, it was ridiculous. Like within about 10 minutes, <laughs> the emails they were then sending to other people in their organization, they were copying me in.
1: Exactly
0: right. Right? Exactly. And they were sending it saying, hey, check this out. Let's chat. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I had – and they, and these weren't like – these weren't small businesses. These were banks, right? These yes, were credit yes, unions. enterprises. Yeah. <laughs> these were tier one or what you guys call over there, you know, Fortune 500. These were big organizations. Yeah, that's right. Um, And not I, and, and they were at quite sort of senior level. So the power of that was going, hey, I did take time. I understood because the customer, if we think of the eye, you know, you, you talk about that, the eye of the customer, the customer sitting there going – Holy moly! Now that everybody's producing content, some content's really poor, some content's great, but I can't even see all that content. How do I differentiate yeah. from the content? I'm getting—it's becoming content saturated, right? And so, that's that's where I feel that this is why every sales professional needs to read this book. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, no, and I say that because, like I said, I read a lot of books. I've been, I'm on a journey this year. I've been reading a book a week and listening to one a week. Like, if I can't read, exactly. I'll listen. And it's, it, you know, it's quite a challenging process to go through because there's so many great concepts. And then when you add LinkedIn and all the, con- and I think if, if, if that's me as a, as a customer watching LinkedIn as my primary source of, of content, I'm getting confused as a, as a, as a customer, as a buyer, right? So, you know, where I'm coming from, well, this, the book Is breaks it down, and this, that's why I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this topic of personalized value and the different things that we must do. So I want to talk, talk about that human-to-human personalization as well. So, you know, what else can we do to make, you know, move the conversation away from transaction so that it can be very focused on human-to-human?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to answer that question, but I wanted to go back to a point that you made earlier, Luigi, and it just okay. resonated. Right. You. about the T1 companies and going in them and they were responding to you. Here's the thing. Enterprise companies, billions of dollars, they're made up of humans. <laughs> they're made up of individual people. And so if you fail to recognize that, then shame on you because yeah. that's where differentiation lives. Differentiation lives in that human to human interaction. It's literally the only place that we have left to differentiate and that isn't going to be able to get commoditized um, and that robots can't take away from us. So, um, you yeah, that that's so I love the way that you said that because it just made me think, you know what? Yeah, it's in big companies, but they're made up of individuals who have needs and desires and wants and challenges and, and that's where you have to that's where you have to live as a sales professional in their world in those individuals' world and they will help usher you to the different levels of the company that that you need to be able to achieve your objective in, in sales.
0: Absolutely. You know what I love that those T1 those Fortune five hundreds they're made up of people. Yeah. They're made up of humans.
1: They are and it's funny. So I'll tell you a funny story. Yes. Um so one time there was a Fortune probably 10 maybe company that I worked oh, with wow. in the Northeast and It was incredible, and I was selling IT services um, and IT outsourcing, and it was kind of in that point. I think I was um, part of a sales team, and so there was a few of us there, and we talked to the CIO, and we talked to the direct report of the CIO, and we just, you know, we hit it off really well with them. We built some great rapport. It was genuine, and you could tell that they genuinely were interested in what we had to say. And as we're leaving, I was like, okay, I'm going to just run to the restroom before I leave. And um, one of the gentlemen that was in there was going to be my peer when we went into the next stage, who was going to be like the project manager for this process of engaging with us. And so I come out of the bath, I go in the bathroom and I realize, and this, no one's ever going to say stuff like this on your podcast, by the way. I have (laughs) lipstick on my teeth. Okay. I was mortified. I'm in this bathroom of this multi-gajillion dollar company, and I just spent an hour in a meeting with the top people. And I just couldn't, I was mortified. So I walk out of the meeting and I go to the gentleman and I said, listen, if we're going to take care of each other, if we're going to be successful together, you're going to have to tell me if I have lipstick on my teeth. Yes. And he just laughed so hard at that. And um, and I swear to God, if I, it's, so I went back a few years later and I asked him, I'm like, I was doing research for the book. And I said, help me understand why you chose to go with me or why you wanted to work with me. And he said, no one would ever do something like that, and he said, "I knew at that moment that you were the person that I wanted to work with because you expected me to have your back, just like you knew you were going to have mine." And I said, "Bingo!" And so that's that's what I'm talking about here: be real, be vulnerable, be a human being. Don't be an automaton. Because guess what? An automaton will take your job if you are.
0: Yeah, that's a mat. That, you know what? and that's a perfect way to sort of sum up this whole process, right? Is yeah. no matter how much we we as, as businesses or, or enterprise want to, you know, make the process automated. At the end of the day, there's people that are sitting behind that automation. Is that, yeah. and this is what I keep saying, that no matter how much we want to talk about the term social selling and, you know, um, the, ch- the buyer's changed, is at some point, especially in enterprise sales, the online's got to go offline. And, you yeah. know, otherwise that's always going to be a transaction. And you know what? We ain't selling transactions. We're selling change. And this is something I was speaking to a head of enterprise for a large accounting software, global. Um, and what he said, he said, because it's the first, they're big in the sort of SME space and they're now tackling the enterprise. So they're talking to the apples, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And he actually said to me that the paradigm shift that's a business we need to make is we're not selling software, we're selling change. That's right. And- you know, and he said that takes that that requires a degree of um, professionalism, and our people need to be different. We need our thought process on how we engage those organisations is completely different, and so this is where the law of 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 you know that social interaction that automation it does not compete because a computer is not going to be able to recognise and go, hey, John, I've just noticed a trigger event you know, this, this, that, and the other, and let's take that conversation offline. Or, you know, where does John, where does John engage? You know, what, what, does he like football? How can I, how can I go to the football and start a conversation, you know, in the real world, which is what we all needed to do before we had access to platforms that could provide information. So I love the way that you've sort of, you know, wrapped that up for us.
1: And AI, I think, is a really big topic, right? And so, you know, not necessarily bots, but artificial intelligence. And I think that there's a really great way to marry that, um, those technologies within sales. I I heard of a technology about that'll actually listen to sales calls and help you understand the inflection of your voice and, you know, who asked more questions and who talked more. That's a brilliant technology. I mean, that's the kind of bot I want on my side, right, to help me get better. Um, and that's fine, but if, if we're talking about real sales, um, generating your income, having a great commission check, having a wonderful livelihood, it has to be by engaging your customer's heart and mind and making them understand that you are their person. You're the person that's going to have their back and make them look good.
0: Mm. And I think, you know, you're, you're right, and, but but also because I love those tech stacks, you know, I love those, you know, technology pieces that I can pull together to make, you know, help me become a better sales professional, you know, listening, Etc. But even before that, and this is what I say: no matter how, because think about the role of a coach. The role of a sales coach is all about analysing calls, sitting there, and then providing that feedback. But those technology platforms will face the same challenges that we, as sales coaches, sales consultants, face. Is if the person's not open, if they haven't got a growth mindset, they're not going to take that feedback on board. That's right. You know, if a piece of technology says, "Hey, you spoke," you know, eighty percent, you didn't ask the questions. Your intonation wasn't married up with the other person. There was tension. If he or she has a fixed mindset, no matter what that data tells them, they ain't going to change.
1: No, right? and so what? Their answer is so what. I'm still making money. Yeah. Right? Oh, I'm
0: still. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years, and you know what do yes. I need to change, and blah blah exactly. blah. It's the same mentality. They're just going to say it to it. They're just going to say it to a report versus a person. But the difference yeah, exactly. is, a person can help build rapport and break down that fixed mindset and take them to a point of, you know, being a little bit more open. And so again, this is where I say that, you know, I'm excited by the fact that a lot of people are worried about being made redundant because that means there's going to be less competition for me. Because yeah and, and it
1: makes yeah, exactly and for me um, as an advocate for my sales professionals out there that I care about so much uh, it gives them a chance and a path of something that you can do to make them successful and I'll tell you what was hard for me I, I read I'm like you I read sales books and leadership books all the time and I'm fascinated by these things but so much of what is out there is um, academic mm. or theoretical and for me, I, I'm amongst salespeople all the time, and I'm, I am one. So yeah. I know that there's a finite amount of theory that I can listen to or read Correct. before I'm done. And so for me, when I was writing this book, I had to make sure that even if I wanted to put in some data or some theory, that I took it and I translated it into something that would matter to that sales rep. And so what you don't have in this book is a fancy sales methodology. Mm. You don't have a checklist or a, um, you know, a... Approach to go and sell it. It's a thought process. All I'm doing is telling you stories to help you see what matters most to customers and how you can be best at your craft. And then from there, you know, I, I show you a little bit how to think and ask yourself these questions. And that's very genuinely and organically how you get to the point where you are an HH seller. So I don't. I'm not one that believes in methodologies. I think that sure, some of them may work, but how much effort is going in from the leaders to force it on the sales reps before it actually Mm. works? Sales reps, you know, I think, in general. We don't want to fill out seven different worksheets for a deal. We want to just go in there and have a conversation and build a relationship and and sell. And and that's what I'm about. I'm about what is the bare minimum? And I hate to say it that way, but what is the bare minimum that I need to do in order to make sure that my customer gets me and understands that I'm going to create value for them on their terms? And I, I put it just that way.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So look, I'm. A, you know what? We could talk about this topic for hours, but I know, I know that we we've got some time restraints. But look, I want to ask you a question? Um, sales, is it a yeah. science or an art?
1: Sales is heart, if you ask heart. me. Heart. Okay. Um, heart. Yeah. It's. Um. I think it's a. It's. It's taking science and art and melding them together with heart and knowing that. in your heart, it kind of helps you figure out what. Is science and what is art and how you balance the two for that particular customer I think it's you have to go with your heart who you are what you stand for and make that relevant to your customer and that's science and art
0: both fantastic we never had that response so that's a new one so <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us and in your career is there someone you know who's been the biggest influence or has have you had someone that's really influenced your career and why
1: you know, so when I, and I actually have this in the acknowledgements, but when I first started out about five, six years ago um, with my own company, there were so many people whose content I read and I learned so much for and kind of helped me figure out who I am and what I stand for because some things I'd read and they they weren't like me and some things I'd read and it very much resonated with me. So I think a lot of those people I've actually even quoted in the book, but like Anthony Iannarino, I think yeah. he's amazing. I love his messaging. Um, I've worked with folks like Deb Calvert. She's yeah. incredible in terms of her human to human approach. Um you know, Lori Richardson, Alice Hyman. I mean, there's tons of different people that are out there telling the true story and meeting sales professionals where they're at and helping them um, be successful. And so I'd I'd say that there's probably not a singular person, but there was just a bunch of different people that are fighting the good fight and are really helping these salespeople elevate themselves and elevate the profession and hopefully soon eliminate the the fiction of Leisure Suit Larry.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, you know what? You've mentioned some pretty big names in our industry and i respect them as well um and they've also had an influence through their books and through their content so you know i appreciate you sharing that with us and just want to know if you could go back and do it all over again in your selling career what's one thing you would do differently
1: i would have probably gone out on my own earlier yeah i think i think it took me really having to face being forced um to not personalize and being forced to templatize a customer before I recognize that I just that's not me I can't do it and so I luckily didn't have to do that and tell them but I think I would have loved being able to go out on my own sooner so that I would have been able to make more of an impact with people um, along the way which you know since I went out on my own I've been so much more able to reach people and help them
0: Ah, oh, fantastic now where can we and we'll put it in the show notes but where can our listeners find more about you buy your book and connect with you
1: so the book is on Amazon.com, um, but it's also on my website, which is um, www.ldkadvisory.com. Yep. On Twitter, on Twitter, I'm A Nielsen LDK. Um, and on LinkedIn, I'm Anita Nielsen. And I'm happy to connect with people. Um, just feel free to reach out to me. I'm still at the point where I I am addressing people personally. I do respond back. <laughs> I do care enough to do that. So um, if you've got something to say or some ideas you want to talk about, please feel free to reach out to me.
0: Well, fantastic. Well, look, I've really, like, I really enjoyed the book. I'm so glad that Deb made the introduction um, yes. because now with your content, it's really, you know what? It's given me some extra stuff to think about. So I appreciate the value that, you know you've provided to me and that the message that you're you're taking to our our industry so so thank you thank for coming you so on the sales IQ podcast
1: thank you thank you that means a lot to me it's been a pleasure luigi thank you
0: beat the bots what a book what an episode and anita she brought it This was awesome, and i tell you, one of the things that I loved about talking to Anita is her passion and enthusiasm in building relationships and taking the sale away from the transaction. So my challenge to you this week is, what are you doing to further enhance and add value to your relationships with your customers? What are you doing to be the best sales professional you can be so you can beat those bots?